0: <clears throat> this is Day 5 of this July 2021 7-Day session. Continuing now with uh, the teachings of Korean Zen Master Kusan Sunim from the book called The Way of Korean Zen. Since the subtle wisdom of complete enlightenment has been present even before the creation of the earth. It has never been lost. Why do you say that you are looking for it again? From long ago until now, it has been unimpeded and has been shining brightly and tranquilly. This is so hard to comprehend with the discursive mind with our our ordinary rational mind how can this Bodhi mind this original nature of ours been present even before the creation of the earth, oh it goes back before then before the creation of the universe the cosmos beyond such Notions as creation and destruction. It's not of time, but not apart from it. Assembly gathered here today, have you completely awakened to it or not? If there is a monk endowed with the Dharma eye, let him say something. In reality, what is this subtle wisdom of complete enlightenment? Hark! Notice he, his challenge. Uh, in his challenge, he uses the word "completely." Have you completely awakened to it or not? It's not just whether you have had a glimpse into it, initial breakthrough. A long way to go after that. He goes on, when a stone tiger gives birth to a lion cub and a wooden woman becomes pregnant, only then will you understand. And then there appears here a verse. With a wooden staff, one strikes Mount Sumero. Everything is contained in the midst of a sound that echoes like thunder. Who can say that he has secretly buried a precious gem deep in the ground? The piercing wisdom is like an awl in a bag. Uh, Mount Sumeru is the um, is a mythical mountain at the center of said that he's at the center of the universe. Who can say that he has secretly buried a precious gem deep in the ground? Um, and. The piercing wisdom is like an awl. An awl, in case anyone doesn't know that word, it's like a uh, something you use within leather work, I guess. It's a very sharp, sharp thing, sort of like an ice pick. But then after this verse, he, he says this stanza refers to a well known story in China that concerned a certain Mr. Hua. This man once obtained a precious gem. That was able to emit light at night. Start again. A gem that was able to emit light at night, a fresh breeze in summer, and warm wind in winter. Of course, he tried to hide this gem from from others, and thus used to bury it deep in the ground. But however deep he hid it, the authorities always found it and took it away from him. Likewise, when someone awakens, she is unable to hide her wisdom. Little by little, it will will become apparent. Furthermore, however carefully you put an awl inside a bag, it is sure to pierce it and extrude. In the same way, if you are practicing meditation, others will be able to judge this by observing your outer appearance. Even if you try, you will not be able to deceive them. And so he's saying it becomes part of our demeanor, uh, the way we carry ourselves, the way we respond to others and to situations, we respond to conditions. Of course, to people... Uh, say in western culture who who have no um who've never heard of enlightenment uh, then it might just leave them puzzled more than anything else I, I, an example springs to mind if someone is um, tantruming at you and you don't react yourself with anger um, don't uh, allow it to escalate if you just maintain calm composure poise and silent dignity I'm just conjuring up a here a, a scenario uh, this would be hard for many people to understand then he he um, starts uh, um, turns to some words of his own teacher, oh no, not him, a uh, master uh, Zhang Jing. He says, let me introduce you to a few words from a lecture of Master Zhang Jing. He once said, all sentient beings are covered by the six dusts. Uh, the, the, the phrase sentient beings is a literal translation. You also encounter it in Chinese sources uh, that was used to distinguish from the enlightened. So sentient beings... Means, the so-called unenlightened. All sentient beings are covered by the six dusts. And then Kusan Sunim says, this means that they are covered by the six kinds of thieves that come from the outside. Yes, two different uh, similes for the same thing going to turn forward about 30 pages to uh, where he goes into uh, go, uh, goes into this a little more about the six thieves if you feel that you are not yet a buddha meaning if you're not awake not yet awakened this means that the no excuse me when he says if you feel that you are not yet a buddha in other words if you Don't yet have faith in your original nature, regardless of whether you've awakened to it. This means that the downfall of the six thieves is still to take place. All things in the external world that pass through the six sense doors are like thieves who are intent on cheating you. These are the six senses, the five ordinary ones, uh, sight, hearing, smell, taste, feeling, and the sixth, in Buddhism, the sixth is uh, thinking. These thieves who are intent on cheating you, they continuously deceive you and drag you here and there. And as soon as you are deceived in even the slightest way by one of these thieves, it is equivalent to being killed by them. For at that moment, they take control of your mind. Because of them, intrinsic Buddhas, that's all of us, are made to act like ordinary sentient beings. So, he's talking about how we get uh, pulled this way and that by uh, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think about. The, uh, the thinking about, uh, is the one we most, uh, directly grapple with, uh, in, in Zen practice, thoughts. Uh, but all of these have the potential, uh, to cause our mind to stray, uh, to, all of these have the potential to invite the thoughts. He continues, in the face of these six thieves, as soon as the slightest thought appears in the doorway of one of the six senses, so for example, um, what, uh, what kind of bird is that that I'm hearing, um, or what is that fragrance, or anything like that. Uh, you should be as alarmed as though a thief were trying to break into your house. The moment one of the six thieves shows itself in the doorway of the senses, the koan investigation of the essential will have deserted you. Otherwise, how could one of the thieves have appeared in the first place? For as long as the koan is held firmly in mind, the six sense doors will be kept tightly closed and there will be no gap through which a thief could enter. Uh, To be clear, the the six sense doors will be tightly closed doesn't mean that we literally have our our sight, hearing, or thinking blocked off. It doesn't mean that... uh, we become insensate. It doesn't mean that we're we're not we're not hearing and thinking and so forth. It just means that we're not clinging to the thought, to the sound. We don't get stuck there. There's this idea of uh, in in Asian Buddhism of uh, uh, nen n e n um and the idea of successive nens, uh, the first nen, what's called the first nen, is the direct experience, the sound. Bok. And then a second nen is uh, a thought about that sound. And then a third nen is a is a still another thought, and so forth. When we when we Closely attend to the mind, the way the mind is working. We can see these trains of Nen that in no time, seconds, they can uh, transport us away from the first Nen, the direct experience. Just this. So to keep the sense doors. Tightly closed means to keep it to the direct experience, the direct experience of the thought. That's also just one of the six senses. The brain generates thoughts just as the, the, the ear perceives sounds and the eye perceives sights. So the, the, the it don't need to be a problem with just having thoughts. Um, coming through the mind, as long as we don't build on them. That's what he means means by tightly closed, not uh, sowing further thoughts on top of the direct experience. So that's what uh, Hakuin means in his chant, where uh, he says, "Our thought now being no thought, it's as if there's no thought, because it just is no. It doesn't. We don't abide in it." He continues, therefore, while the koan remains vivid, you remain alive. That is, you remain in the in direct experience. But as soon as one of the six thieves manages to enter the door of the senses, you are already dead. As soon as we get taken away. He goes on with this. In order to cause the downfall of the six thieves, you must cast aside all concern for the body. You should discard it as you would a useless stone that serves no purpose. Habitually, you blindly follow your uncontrolled attachment to the body and thus spend your entire lives trying to feed it and clothe it well, thereby making sure that it is comfortable. Throughout beginningless eons, you have been the servant of the body and have thus played the role of an ordinary sentient being. But from now on, you should learn to make it serve you. Likewise, instead of being captivated by the six senses, that is, taken captive by them, you should also make them obey you. Henceforth, it is you who must have the final word. In this way, your practice will be able to progress well. Uh, statement of the great Zen Master Joshu springs to mind. He said, "Most people are used by the twenty-four hours. I use the twenty-four hours. We, we have the choice. Millisecond by millisecond, we have the choice as to." whether we're used by thoughts in the other senses or we use them in a way in which we're not attached to them. He continues, It is a great mistake to think that after having practiced hard for a few days, You are then entitled to lie back and enjoy yourself for a while. It is easy to find any number of pretexts for behaving in this manner, but to do so will cause you to be killed by the six thieves. Thus, you will be reduced to playing the role of a corpse. Uh, I've, uh, led quite a few sachines in Mexico, southern Mexico. Uh, it's, the altitude is high enough, something like 4,000 feet, that the nights can get quite cold in February, especially that's when usually they are. The nights can get quite cold during the, uh, during the early morning Doxan, um, uh, the temperature can get down to 45. Um, the Doksan waiting line is outdoors, and uh, people learn very quickly that they have to be well-dressed, I mean, dressed well for that kind of cold. But then, then uh, very quickly, uh, after sunrise, it starts warming up. And uh, so by late morning, like around now, Uh, We often see uh, the participants uh, lying on the grass uh, outside the zendo, lying on the grass, just taking the sun, enjoying that sun. It would be one thing if they would be sitting upright, straight back, enjoying the sun, but this sprawling out on the grass uh, it would be an extraordinary person who wasn't just letting his or her mind go slack and l- lapse into daydreams so we we say to people don't be sunbathing uh, out there on the on the lawn." Continues. Throughout beginningless eons, the way has been obscured by the great weight and depth of defilements. Defilements is a very distinctly Buddhist word, uh, at least in its English translation. uh, um, It's not hard to find examples in oneself. Uh, You can start with the three. poisons, greed, anger, and delusion, all the many, many subtle and gross forms of greed, all the many subtle and gross forms of of hostility, ill will, anger, rage, irritation, annoyance, and uh, similarly all the varieties of, of delusion, confusion, and so forth. He says, exactly how heavy and deep are these defilements? They are as heavy as the earth and as deep as the ocean. Defilements are actually the habitual tendencies you have acquired since beginningless time. There's some kind of formula in Buddhism uh, that uh, of the significance of 108 um, the idea is that uh, human beings have 108 defilements. It seems a very modest estimate to me. Uh, but that's why we, uh, why uh, at New Year's Eve, uh, on our New Year's Eve ceremony, we uh, have the tolling of the bell at Arnold Park, tolling of the bell 108 times, as is done in Japan on New Year's Eve. He continues, "...since they are so deeply ingrained within you and weigh you down so greatly, how can you not see the need to practice with the utmost diligence? The defilements are like clouds covering the sun. Although the sun shines brightly behind the clouds, its brightness cannot be seen. Only when the clouds disperse will its brilliance be clearly apparent." elsewhere uh, he says that our original nature is never obscured therefore and here he's quoting his master Zhong Jing if a poor woman were in possession of a treasure she would bury it so deeply that no one would be able to dig it up and take it away but even if someone were to take it away it would still remain the same And if the poor woman kept it in her possession, it would also remain the same. This treasure, mind, will always stay just as it is. Moreover, even though a diamond is extracted from very deep within the earth, it cannot be destroyed. You should bear this in mind. The wisdom of your original nature is always clear and bright. It never changes. This is um, reminds me of a koan in the Blue Cliff Record where Umon begins, There is one treasure hidden in the mountain of form. He continues, now if you really want to unearth a precious gem from the mud and stones of defilements, you should think of how snow and ice harden and melt. Recently there has been much snow here. Now it has packed and hardened on the ground and will not melt very quickly. Just look, the snow is delivering an unsurpassable discourse on dharma. For to dissolve the defilements and discover your true nature is the same as the melting of this snow. In order for it to melt, it must be exposed to the sun. Thereupon it turns into water, which you can then use for drinking, washing, and so forth. Imagine how long it would take to melt if it were only exposed to the sun for one day and then allowed to harden again over the following 10 cold days. It is similar when you try to practice meditation. If you practice hard for one day, but then relax and enjoy yourselves during the next 10 days, how will the hardened crust of the defilements ever melt? Yeah, the the importance of sustained exertion. Again, I know from experience that many people hear this and they kind of wilt, thinking, oh, Christ, I have to do this for... I can't ever stop. But... uh do this just means making one's best attempt to mindfully mindfully know how you're using or misusing the mind doesn't mean you have to stay up all night every night it means to uh, be sincere about just doing your best uh, and not to, doing your best not to Indulge in thoughts needlessly it does It does get easier as, as Sashin goes on. We, uh, what happens is we notice more quickly when the mind has strayed, and that's the effect. Of doing so much sitting the the, the basic uh, truth is that we can't notice the mind is strayed until we notice it we can <clears throat> there's nothing we can do about it till we notice it but that but that noticing happens sooner uh, when we 're doing a lot of sitting. He goes on, Even in the midst of the utmost quiescence, you should never let the koan fade. For if at such times it remains bright and vivid, then great awakening will draw nearer. Furthermore, the meditator should now consider the koan as her very life. When coming, the koan should be coming. When going, the koan should be going. While eating, the koan should be eating. And even while defecating, it should be the koan that defecates. In other words, no separation, constant awareness of the koan. If you practice in such a way, then great awakening will certainly be closer. Therefore, do not just idly enjoy yourselves to no purpose. Carefully and earnestly investigate the living word, the koan. In conclusion, I would like to comment upon this well-known proverb. I I guess it's a Korean proverb. In the utmost softness lies the greatest strength. In the utmost harmony, the sublimest joy. In the utmost gentleness, the noblest virtue. And in the utmost meekness, the highest felicity. Only with the utmost patience does one become a sage. Then he uh, says a little more about those first three, three lines. It is possible that someone might appear on the outside to be rather simple and even foolish. He may seem to have no courage to be overly compliant and slow-witted. However, inside he may be wielding a mighty sword. Similarly, when confronting circumstances, on the outside you should appear to deal with them softly and compliantly, yet inside your mind, inside your mind should be as sharp as a mighty sword. A person who can act in such a way has truly built up a sound practice. This uh, uh, echoes what Roshi Kaplow would say from time to time about the the ideal Zen person in in Japan. I don't think he ever went to Korea. Someone who is flexible, soft, and gentle, pliable on the outside, but inside strong, solid enormous stamina, it may be that only when we have built up this kind of stamina and strength on the inside, strength of character, of course, uh, that we can allow ourselves to be uh, soft, tender on the outside. This uh, this is a, a a a these ideals are uh, more much more widely embraced in in uh, East Asian culture um, and Southeast Asian culture, where uh, these the, you see in books and movies and how how much this is cultivated, this uh, harmonizing with others, not opposing others, somehow finding a way to dexterously, um, gracefully, not set up uh, conflict, not um, exacerbate conflict, but to find ways to to get along. When I was in Japan I was told that there's no... in in Japanese there's no word exactly for no. When uh, when uh, you ask for something uh, that is not uh, not uh, with with the rules of the of the temple, uh, instead of instead of uh, no, you can't do that, it would might be this kind of response. It's drawing in the breath. Okay, meaning okay, we can we can talk about it. I'm talking about in some circumstances others it's just clear. Just the answer is no. He goes on, likewise you should try to be harmonious. You should learn to like and get on well with one another and to do things for other people instead of yourself. But if you behave in a way that is contrary to the well-being and interests of others, then you will only create conflict. Uh, you learn very quickly at, at the meals uh, the meals in uh, Japanese temples uh, that you never serve yourself first you don't reach for the rice and put it on your on your in your bowl you reach for the rice and offer to the person on your left or your right these are these are great ancient civilizations they have they have refined this matter of interpersonal relations It is important to be gentle and not to go against the wishes of others. Even go out of your way to be helpful to other people. In this way, you will amass the noblest of virtues. It's hard hard to imagine that in uh, China or Japan or Korea, people would refuse to wear face masks to protect others. Suppose there must be some, maybe some who do this, but always they're thinking of the greater good, thinking of others. Meekness is another quality that should be cultivated. Instead of forcing yourselves on others, you should learn to flexibly adapt yourselves to their needs. You should listen well to what they say and offer to help them in whatever work they are doing. In this way, you will find contentment and happiness. It's an interesting uh, conclusion there, that it's not just for their benefit, but one's own happiness. (coughs) And finally, you must learn to be patient. You need to be able to forbear hardships, endure difficulties, and undertake what is arduous. While practicing, you are liable to encounter difficult periods. It is important not to give up at such times, but to bear through them diligently. In this way, the strength of forbearance will grow within you, and in the end you will become accomplished sages. Such people are able to sit on the lion throne and utter a lion's roar for the welfare of all beings. There it is again, for the welfare of all beings, not just to be a big shot lion, but for the welfare of all beings. Here in this paragraph, you can see why we take uh, uh, it so seriously that once one is committed, to attend a full seshin, that they not leave early, because uh, of you are, we are sure to encounter difficult periods. That's the nature of seshin. Anyone who ha, who doesn't hasn't encountered a difficult stretch of this seshin, please come to Doksan and tell me. Uh, and and so, what you learn if you can just soldier through it is that it passes. It's important not to give up at such times, but to bear through them diligently. In this way the strength of forbearance will grow within you. And this this uh, stamina and strength I was talking about a minute ago, this is this nothing develops this as much as going through Sashin and especially multiple sashins. This Diamond strength. Diamond, it's a, it's a very, uh, often used, um, analogy in, in the Zen. Diamond is so strong, so, so hard. It can cut anything and yet cannot be cut itself. Assembly of monks, it is true that these days you are exerting much effort in your practice of meditation. However, I would like to add a few words for your benefit. Of the 90 days of this winter retreat, already half have passed, for today we have reached the midpoint of the meditation season and only 45 days are now left. Every day time flows on urgently like water. Even though it may seem that there are certain enjoyments in daily life, actually we are just like fish in a pool whose water is constantly being drained. Likewise, not only you monks gathered here, but all sentient beings are traveling the path that only leads to death. As each day passes, your lifespan decreases by one day. And as each hour passes, it decreases by one hour. Just listen to this clock. With every tick, the second hand moves, pauses, and moves on again. This itself can be taken as a Dharma lecture of the Buddha. Therefore, the demon of transiency is propelling us toward death every moment. If you do not realize the truth of the unborn, that is of our original nature, then when the time of death suddenly arrives you will find yourself moaning in illness. Even though nobody wants to die, every one of us will inevitably perish. Is there anyone here among you whose body is not a potential corpse? Furthermore, should we live solely for the benefit of this potential corpse? Or would it be better to live in order to awaken to the truth of the unborn? When you are finally moaning an illness, then you may have regrets at not having diligently practiced while alive. While alive. But at that time, such regrets will be in vain. Therefore, why do you not practice now? Why do you just continue to play around? Well, I don't see anyone here playing around, but uh, we can always we can always go a little further. We can always push the envelope. It's in a way that's what sashin is all about: is just uh, going beyond ourselves, beyond the self and its thoughts and ideas. We have no fixed self. Whatever we imagine we, we can't do has to be false because there's no we, there's no fixed, unchanging self. It's changing moment by moment. We are, We are, through this sustained practice, developing resiliency. Which is another form of strength. And it goes on and on. What we what we couldn't do a week ago, we might very well be able to do now. What we couldn't do yesterday, we might be be able to do now. We don't know. We don't know without giving it our utmost. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.